Welcome to episode 610 of the I Hate Critics Movie Review Podcast. I'm the executive producer, Bob Zerl. And before the show starts, I want to remind you to check us out on Facebook, X, Instagram, all your podcatchers, our handles Critics Pod, or at Facebook, it's I Hate Critics. Be sure to check out the 1994 I Hate Critics group on Facebook as well. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Subscribe to the show, write and view the show. If you go to Apple Podcasts and write a review, they'll read the review on the air. The best, the best way to help support the podcast is heading over to Patreon, patreon.com slash criticspod. Our key public link is over at IHateCritics.net up in the right-hand corner, or you can search Critics Pod over at TeePublic. We're also on YouTube, the I Hate Critics Movie Review Podcast, possibly even the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. Uh, subscribe there, hit the little notification to be reminded when a new episode drops. And I'm going to hand it over to professional film critic Sean Patrick and Jeff Lasseter. Thanks. Welcome to the I Hate Critics Movie Review Podcast. I am professional film critic Sean Patrick. With me is Jeff. Hey, what's up, guys? Jeff, where do you find your stuff? JeffLaster.com is my uh, my website, and you should go there and buy stuff. I just put up a... Um, uh, limited edition, limited to 25, and I think I've sold half of them. Uh, print of from the Madonna celebration tour. Um, nice. so yeah, that was you gorgeous. Should that. You should, thank you. That was a gorgeous piece. Yeah, it's on, uh, our, it's on our Facebook page. I thought, I thought on your page, and and I was like, I'm gonna put that up on our on our Facebook page so everybody can see that because it, it's an incredible piece. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, like I said last time, she sang This Used to Be My Playground from A League of Their Own, which is such a great movie, and she was great in it. And uh, she'd never done that before. So I was kind of like wanted to commemorate that. Or if I, if you read my Twitter, it's commentate that because I forgot to fix the spelling. Mm. <laughs> so. It happens. It happens to yeah, us all. Yeah. All right. Uh, recently, both of us had the chance to see a brand new movie theater in our area. Uh, and, it, and it's notable because it's owned and uh, operated by a pair of Hollywood filmmakers, uh, well-known Hollywood filmmakers, the guys behind the script for A Quiet Place. And they directed Haunt and uh, 65 with Adam Driver uh, uh, back in Woods. They've got a, their own movie theater in downtown Davenport, Iowa. And we both had a chance to see it. I saw it uh, last week. And I saw the incredible Francis Ford Coppola movie, One from the Heart, which is this amazing, monstrous fiasco from 1982 <laughs> that I absolutely loved, Jeff. I loved this movie. It's so insane and over the top and weird and experimental. And it's all just a guy who is truly coming from the heart. He's laying everything bare. It's like everything you don't tell people about yourself, like in regular mm -hmm. conversation, made into a movie. Like it's 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 his like his fetish material, but also like his love of like he's like really going on about his love of legendary you know MGM style musicals and I mean it's and of course just his his fetishization of of movie technology. <clears throat> it's incredible, and I loved it. Good, good. I really I have not actually seen it. it. More it's been hard to find for the past, you know, uh, almost forty years now, forty two years now. It's been it's been a hard movie to find because it was a, again the reputation of it is this massive fiasco. It uh, cost about twenty five million dollars and made like two. Like it was not. It nearly <laughs> put uh, Zoetrope, uh, his company, in the ground. Uh, like it was bad in terms of in terms of the business stuff, but in terms of filmmaking, it is so wildly experimental and unique and different, and just an ex straight expression right from the spirit of uh, Francis Ford Coppola and everything that he loves. Yeah, I need to come into some money so I can just go to the movies all the time because I would. That's stuff that I never get to see because I work mostly nights, and yeah. I would love to. I used to do that a lot in Chicago. Is go to you know just 
whatever they were showing at the music box theater. So mm. I, I love the fact that we now have an art house in our area that and they're going to be doing stuff like this. Like this is a, this is a uh, re- rest, recent restoration of one from the mm-hmm. heart that just happened uh, fairly recently. They, they first was released back in uh, mid January and uh, they brought, they were able to bring it to us because we have this amazing art house. now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, this is something that, I have wanted since I moved back here. Um, having lived in LA for the year that was lost from the pandemic, uh, 2020 into 2021, I never got to go experience like the New Beverly and things like that that I wanted to. I mean, I'd I'd been to a couple of theaters when I was on vacation there, but you know that was what I wanted to do out there. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that we have something that's. Um, you know, that's kind of ramping up to that here. Absolutely. Now you had a chance to see it today and it, it's a spectacular, incredible posters and you got to see the new movie. Or- yes, I did. Um, I, so origin is based on the, the, uh, the process of writing the book cast. And I actually have that book. I picked it up recently Uh, without knowing that this movie existed and about halfway through the movie, I said, you know what? I'm in the middle of three books, but that's the book that's coming next. Yeah. Uh, Just the everything, like the performances in this were just amazing. Like Ingenue Ellis Taylor is, I just completely lost who she was. She was Isabel Wilkerson, you know, Um, just, her and the chemistry with her and John Bernthal was off the charts. Um, you know, of course it opens up with the murder of Trayvon Martin. Um, Mm -hmm. and that was the kind of the catalyst for her writing this is they wanted her to do a story because she writes a lot about subjects like that. And the fact that she couldn't quite put her finger on where to start with that story because it was so devastating to her. And it just brought up this whole other um, experience that she wanted to talk about, which is how not everything is racism, but everything is caste. Um, And if people aren't familiar with the word caste, I would say look it up. And um, it's basically that the old adage that if you can make somebody beneath you, that enough people start to believe that, then that is... You know, it's like the billionaires telling the millionaires to tell the middle class that the poor people are coming for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that they should do everything to simp for billionaires. That kind of thing is like, that's that's a very broad simplification of it, but it's along the same lines. Um, Absolutely. What I, was, what I was thinking is racism truly is, like at the root of mm-hmm is a caste system where where a portion of racism is about you know seeing somebody who is different from you and discriminating against another part of it is actively creating people who will be at the very bottom of the economic ladder to make sure that everybody else has somebody that they can look down upon or somebody that can do the jobs mm-hmm. that nobody else wants to do that's really brought home in that powerful sequence in India where she where she the director takes us to India and shows us the caste system there, which is truly horrific. They took a, a small religious sect and turned them into the absolute bottom of the ladder in terms of the economy to the point where we watched them uh, cleaning a sewer, and it is horrifying to watch. Yeah, yeah, literally oiling somebody so that they don't absorb the shit that they have to literally be in. Like up to their neck and on their head, they are covered in shit in the back of a latrine. It's just, it's, mm-hmm. it's mind boggling how, you know, this, this, <laughs> and instead of solving have, the problem, they have, continuously, you know, just continue to yeah. trash these people and place them in a position where they have no hope and no one, they take the worst jobs because that's all that's been made available. And and to anybody who says that that does not exist anymore, it goes to this day. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it's so worth your time to watch the movie. And then I'm I have I have not read the book yet, like I said, but 
I, from everybody that I've talked to who has, it's so worth the read and it's so eye opening. So, uh, but definitely this movie, like, I mean, you like everybody's in this movie, <laughs> you know, Nick Offerman plays <laughs> a guy in a make America great again hat, which I know, like I could just see him just like, Oh, let me play that part. Cause that's who he is. You know, he is just so anti that. Um, Donna mm-hmm. Mills was in this movie. I was like, oh, I love Donna Mills. I've loved her for my entire life. And to see her in this movie, not playing a bitch, but just mm-hmm. playing a friendly neighbor. You know, I, I, Stephanie March from SVU is in this. I was like, yeah, I haven't seen her in a long time. Um, just all the all the mm-hmm. people. <laughs> you know, Blair Underwood still looks and like he's in his 20s. <laughs> and Ava DuVernay is weaving this story of telling how she's, you know, working on this book. Uh, Anjanou Ellis Taylor is the is the lead, Isabel Wilkerson, and all that she went through. Not only is she getting this massive thing into a into a book, which is a, I mean, a massive undertaking. She's weaving in elements of actual going mm-hmm. losing her husband, losing her closest friend, played by Nisi. All this is, it just under, underlines incredible woman and all that she's done to get to this point where she's now created this astonishing bestseller that is one of the best books of the last uh, three. Yeah, it's just, I I cannot recommend this enough. It's, it's so good. Um, however you have to see it, if you have to see it at home, um, there's... I got to. I luckily got to see the. She answered a couple of questions after the movie, um, just a pre-recorded thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's a story of Al Bright, who was a little boy who was on a little a little league team. He was the only black child on this team, and they were all going to go have uh, lunch and go eat. Or they're going to go eat uh, barbecue and go to the pool. Well, they wouldn't let him in the pool, and. The fact yeah. that, yeah, the fact that the the man telling the story yeah. as if he was, you know, if it was the, um, he was one of the participants, and you weren't quite sure if he was an actor or if he was actually the man, um, the fact that you can't tell <laughs> is uh, is kind of a testament to both his ability and her her movie making because she just she weaves this this tale in and. It's just, it's literally heartbreaking to watch this little child be excluded, and it's just and it was and it's a true story. It actually happened. Um, it's just oh god, I can't even I can't recommend it enough. I really just I want to go see it again, and I want to take everybody I know to see it. So I, I'm right there with you. This movie is sure incredible. It. It's an incredible film, and uh, you know Ava, du- Ava DuVernay made this movie and so low under the radar, uh, especially throughout the award season, kind of blew my mind. This is one that belongs higher. And I think I think part of the problem is, is that it is, it is kind of experimental in its way. I mean, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not yeah. a linear narrative. It's weaving through various different stories. It's got flashbacks uh, to her meeting her husband, to after uh, he passed away. Stuff happening. And, and people have called it a little bit shapeless, who are used to that, you know, typical three act structure? It can it can be a little bit hard to not not hard to follow, but certainly it's not it's just not what you're trained for as a regular everyday moviegoer. So I get some of that, but truly, overall the overall quality of it is so powerful that it's really undeniable. Had had this been a series on like Hulu, because this 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 the tone was some uh, was like a Hulu in particular um, mm-hmm. miniseries where you have one episode, which is present day and sets up the story. And then the next one, it, the next episode is the flashback to them meeting. And then, you know, it just, it had had that. And I, but I'm so glad it was a movie. It's, you know, it was just the way it, it kind of, takes you back and forth and shows you um, how something from the past affected the future, the present and the future. 
was really well told. Um, I am going to say this. I am glad that Finn Whitrock did not have a lot of lines because he's not a great actor. Uh, <laughs> I literally, like, I can't, well, I can't stand him on American Horror Story <laughs> and all the Ryan Murphy stuff. Cause mm-hmm. you know, it's just whatever. But um, facially he was really good. At, he did a lot of face acting in this and he was very good at that. Um, but you know, they tell you that like, they show you how, you know, a story of uh, a German and a Jew in Nazi Germany affects how things are happening in, you know, in, in their future with uh, Isabella Wilkerson and her husband, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's the fact that they're a mixed race couple. It, it's, it kind of informs how she tells the story. Absolutely. Just highly, Absolutely. highly recommended. Yeah. The, it, it's an incredible movie. Everybody needs to see it. It's origin. Uh, it's, some theaters, some places, but of course, I bet uh, it'll soon probably be available for streaming uh, very, very soon. On uh, I saw a movie this weekend called Out of Darkness, Jeff. It's a, it's a horror film set in uh, in sixty five million BC. It's way back in way back in the in the uh, era, uh, and it's basically just a monster movie. Uh, it reminds nice. Of prey, you know, the, that it, and there was a point where I thought, "Oh no, they're going to reveal this is a predators, another predator sequel," because <laughs> it's literally like the whole the whole premise is this uh, small band of people has been cut off from their tribe and they're on their own in this uh, in, somewhere in the English Isles, uh, and one by one they're kind of being picked off by this unseen force, and you're like, "Oh God, it is predator." Uh, <laughs> the dynamic has them with uh, there's one. A uh, young woman who's an outsider, a uh, very, very young woman who's, a, who's kind of the outsider to the group. And and there's talk of potentially using her as a sacrifice. Uh, then they've got the you know the leader and his wife and his brother who are you know out front. They've got a wise man that they brought along who's a little bit older, who's insightful. And, of course, is the first one to say, sacrifice her. <laughs> <laughs> wise and insightful. <laughs> Uh, and once they eventually, once they reveal what the monster truly is, and uh, it, it definitely it, it's not it's not a twist. I wasn't terribly surprised by it, but I was impressed by how well it's done. It, it's got a lot of suspense. It's an exciting film. The, they really use their outdoor locations and that millions upon millions of years ago setting uh, to great effect. Uh, they, they don't want to go into this very dark forest. They're going to have to go into this very dark forest. And that's where uh, this monster, so to speak, is hiding. And I, I, yeah, I had very, very quick for this, but I, I was impressed by, by the filmmaking. I was impressed by the pace. It's only 87 minutes long and it really uses that time. Uh, I recommend it. Nice. And when I heard great... the title, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say when I heard the title, I thought it was another Scream movie because that's the title of uh, Sidney Prescott's autobiography on Scream Four. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great scene, also. <laughs> Sorry to bring the whole podcast to a halt, no. but yeah <laughs> <laughs> your your knowledge is respected uh, <laughs> no there's this great scene of a guy getting his jaw ripped off that is one it, it's classic high end gore i can't nice all right i also saw f- <laughs> It's Float. Yes, Float. With <laughs> so, so here's the thing. I saw another movie last week called Drift and one called Float. And these are the worst possible titles for movies as far as I'm concerned. These one-word <laughs> titles that have basically no like reference to the movie itself. Like they're really, I mean, I guess on a vague level, Float makes sense. But there are other titles that probably made more sense. Anyway, Cynthia Revo plays a woman who is from Africa. She's been living in London uh, with her girlfriend for a while and, and going to school. She went back to Africa to visit her family. There was an uprising, and somehow she woke up in Greece. And she has no money, passport. She's just barely getting by. We watch her sleep in a cave when we first meet her. Uh, she's trying to steal food out of, you know, 
uh, eaten food off from a restaurant just to have something to eat. She begins like uh, doing foot massages on the beach to make a couple bucks just to buy a sandwich. Uh, eventually, she meets a tour guide played by Alia Shawkat, who tries to you know help her out and kind of break through these defenses. But she's so scared of everyone around her and so uh, damaged by what happened to her back home in Africa that she really seemingly cannot help, cannot accept any help whatsoever. And that's an interesting internal journey, but this movie isn't structured like that. It's not structured as a character study. It's structured like a typical drama with a you know typical three act drama and that should have story progression at some point that should have her revealing things eventually and if you're going to have a conventional narrative on this then you need to give us conventional payoffs and we never learn how she ended up in Greece from Africa to Greece we don't know that journey we don't know why she won't accept help from people who she knows back in England who have would seemingly offer to help her like there's there's really and it's entirely internal and like i said if it were just a character study i think cynthia revo could make that work but it as a conventional narrative jeff it's just so unsatisfying to have this character just not reveal anything over and over again as we watch the same seemingly series of scenes happen with her close to revealing something about herself and then pulling back Hmm. Yeah, that sounds, um, it sounds like it would be better as a character study where you don't, you know, you don't have to really, there's not a narrative, just you're trying to figure stuff out about her, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunately just quite unsatisfying as it's structured. It's not, it's just, it's a typical narrative applied to something that should be more of an internal character study kind of movie, just something much more experimental, maybe with some voiceover and maybe don't include a sort of conventional romance angle. Not there. Certainly they do seem to have like, I know Cynthia Rivo's character is gay and she does have a lot of chemistry with Alia Shawkat's character, but it kind of goes up to the line of them having a relationship and doesn't really cross it. And uh, again, it's just another, we get a good answer as to why that doesn't happen yeah I, even in a character study i want to know why i want to know the why of the character yeah i mean i don't um, need all my questions answered but something has to get answered you have to give me something as a payoff well i i don't care what movie i'm watching i need to know why the lead character is the lead character mm -hmm. you know and if it's just there's no reason um you know, if they don't have a story necessarily uh, that has somewhat of a structure, then it kind of seems like a fool's errand to me. Yeah, unfortunately, that uh, that one just yeah, that movie just doesn't work. Unfortunately. Hmm. All right, uh, let's get to the uh, the the meat of the show. We're going to be talking and movies, and specifically, we're starting with the movie Lisa Frankenstein, starring Catherine Newton and Cole Sprouse. Uh, not a not an adaptation of the Frankenstein story per se. It uses the name and it uses kind of the monster. Uh, so I can tell you something. Okay. It hit me why the name is Lisa Frankenstein. As I was going into the no, I'm, I'm being completely. Are you familiar with Lisa Frank? I just listened to a podcast about Lisa Frank not, not two not two weeks ago. Okay, Lisa Frank did these neon pink, green, blue designs for Trapper Keepers and things like that uh, in the 80s when this movie takes place. And I'm, I was walking into the theater, and you know how at, at Cinemark theaters they have the name above the uh, in lights, but it all it's often uh, truncated. Mm -hmm. And this one said Lisa Frank. And I was like, that's okay. That makes sense. This is the reason she's named Lisa is for Lisa Frank and reviving a dead guy. So Lisa Frank, Lisa yeah. Frankenstein. 
it did not hit me until that very moment. So, okay. <laughs> the character's actual name the in the movie is Lisa Swallows, but... <laughs> <laughs> Which has its own connotations. <laughs> uh, we need to, uh, Catherine Newton playing Lisa Swallows. She's an outsider. Uh, she's an outcast. Her mother was brutally murdered in an ax, by, by an axe murderer. Uh, she, her father then gets remarried. They move to a new town. She gets a new uh, stepmother played by Carla Gugino in a tremendous villain role. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, a, a new stepsister played by Liza Simon. Oh, what is her name? I can't. I always do this. Um, <laughs> you got to write down notes. Before. Yeah. Like, <laughs> she, cause she's so good. Taffy is yeah. the character. And she's just absolutely uh, wonderful in this movie. And it's refreshing. Uh, Refreshing because yeah, that character in this She's narrative Jeff, is is usually the villain. She's usually the one yes. that the that the protagonist has to overcome, and they totally went a different direction uh, with that. Uh, I I really enjoyed that. So uh, the bottom line on that is Liza Soberano, thank you, uh, is her name, and she plays Taffy, the the sister to uh, uh, Lisa. Uh, and like I said, great character. She has a great line early on about the Ho- Miss Hawaiian Tropic contest that is one <laughs> of the, my favorite laughs in a while. Uh, but anyway, uh, Lisa is an outcast. Of course she is, because she likes to hang out in graveyards and uh, sketch graves and um, make her art that way and not talk to anybody. Uh, she has a particular grave that she's really fallen for uh, for a man named Frankenstein. And when that grave gets struck by lightning, the man, Mr. Frankenstein, climbs out of his grave and goes looking for his new friend who's been uh, talking with him and <laughs> conversing with him in the ground. Uh, and he finds her and becomes essentially her, her monster. Uh, he helps turn her life around. He turns her into this goth murder chick <laughs> who suddenly becomes very hot and popular. Uh, I was comparing her, Jeff, to a kind of a, a goth Madonna, like a circa, like a virgin. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a great look. And this is a really, really funny, dark movie. Diablo Cody did the script, uh, script for this. Uh, Robin Williams' daughter, Zelda, is the director of this movie. Uh, it's got a strong look to it. Uh, the script is sharp and acidic and uh, the movie goes to some places that uh, I wasn't expecting, uh, for sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, Cole Sprouse doesn't have much to do. He doesn't really have much dialogue because the character is, you know, he's recovering from being dead. So there's a lot of time for him to, uh, he's got to build back up his strength to before actually speaking. So he doesn't speak much, but Lisa does uh, more than enough talking. Uh, the movie is hilarious. Uh, Diablo Cody does a great job. The look of the film is unique. Uh, it doesn't feel like every other 80s remake. And especially the the relationship between uh, Lisa and uh, Frankenstein, <laughs> the, the creature, as they call him in the in the credits, uh, it's got, I called it kind of a combination between uh, Molly Ringwald and Ducky and Pretty in Pink and Winona Ryder and Christian Slater and Heathers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's kind of a perfect amalgamation, and they really nailed that uh, in terms of that relationship. I loved this movie, Jeff. I liked this movie. Um, my, I have a couple quibbles with it, just a couple. Um, sure. One is that it seems like it's missing a couple scenes. Um, she goes from running away. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't realize it's the guy she's been fawning over his uh, the stone bust on top of his grave she doesn't she doesn't get that at first when he comes busting through the window but it's like she does a turn immediately mm. she does there's no like one minute she's screaming and running away and the next minute she's just like okay fine you can stay um and then my other and this is a spoiler um so just fast forward for like a minute um, when Carla Gugino is telling her that she's going to have her committed and he kills her, kills Carla Gugino, she doesn't freak out. She doesn't have any like normal reaction to it. She's just automatically let's bury the body, you know, instead of, you know, and it just seems like then she's fine with everything that happens. Mm-hmm. She doesn't seem to me to have any sort of remorse or any sort of pause to say, 
are we doing the right thing? You know, is this guy like, I know he's a dead guy and his tears smell, which, oh my God, was hilarious. Every time he, her, I, I, she bought, she, sometimes she bothers me, but in this movie, she was, especially when he would cry or whatever, bodily mm-hmm. fluid would come out and she's just like, oh my God. And, you know, she'd start to recover. You know how you do if somebody right. really bad. <laughs> you start to recover, then you're just like, it hits you in a, in, in a wave. And you're just, oh, that was awesome. She was amazing with that. <laughs> um, I just felt like there was, um, that that was my main problem was that I just, her motivation just seemed to like be missing a scene where she could have, she had a question, you know, like a normal human. And I, I really, this is this is a heightened kind of, Heather's s comedy and I get that um but even in Heather's you know you saw Winona Ryder's kind of arc to where she came and then she had regrets mm-hmm. uh Lisa doesn't seem to have any regrets for anything that happens um my other thing was it was um Chekhov's axe murderer <laughs> If you're going to tell me a story about how this girl's mother got murdered by an axe wielding killer, that is your, that is your absolute like classic example of the end of the movie. The axe murderer comes and tries to kill her. And then, you know, uh, the, the creature attacks him and almost gets him. And then she's like, no, then we can be together. So he lets her or he lets the killer, you know, I mean, that was like that. I kept waiting for that to happen mm-hmm. or for her just to say, what? My mom wasn't killed by an ax murderer. She died of cancer or something like that. You know, something <laughs> I had to have, I had to have some closure to that moment because it was just too good of a, you know, my mom was killed by an ax murderer and he's coming for me now. And I'm just going to let him have me so that I can be with my love forever. Or that never happened. You know, like that's just taffy being dramatic. (laughs) Either one would have worked for me. I just, I I felt like it was, it was missing that natural payoff, Mm -hmm. um, you know, of, of an ax wielding killer, because that's also a big 80s staple or, you know, slasher movies. So those are my only quibbles. I thought it was really funny. It was, you know, endearing. I, I have a grudging like of Catherine Newton now. Um, not that I ever really hated her. She's just, you know, just something about her. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I, I loved the aesthetic of it. Uh, Carla Gugino's just, she was. Perfect. <laughs> I mean, she's that. She's oh, oh Yeah. <laughs> And the thing is, it's like, I knew a lady like her in our little small town growing <laughs> up in the eighties. Yeah. And I wanted to be like, oh my God, that's, and I'm for my own sake of not getting sued. I'm not going to say her <laughs> name, but I was like, oh my God, if my mom was alive to see this, she would say that's blank. <laughs> Cause it was so her, um, <laughs> but she was my favorite part of the movie. And did you, did you get a sense that by the end of the movie, Taffy wanted to like marry her stepfather? I mean, there was an element of that, I guess, like a little bit. I, I didn't read too much into it. Cause I, I really thought that, uh, that again, her performance is, is so strong. It is so necessary to have that character. Uh, oh and, yeah. The, you know, again, we talked about it before the trope is that she would be evil and she would be like, killed like she would be mm-hmm. the one who dies um but the, they they rewrote that character so brilliantly and i just thought everything about that character worked uh in terms of yeah. being likable funny kind of sweet uh and and uh a little bit you know a little bit sad herself in some time sometimes they reveal her depth a little bit uh as they go along uh, I loved her finding out about, you know, finding out about Frank, finding about the, the creature and, and uh, 
Lisa being involved with the creature and the murders and just her look of shock. Lisa is pouring her heart out and thanking her for being a good person. And she just <laughs> like you would think that in a lot of ways you would assume that there that this is going to be a makeup moment and she's going to, you know, support Lisa as she goes off to fight the creature. And no, she's like, fuck this, I'm out of here. I gotta go. <laughs> she's like, she totally plays the trauma in that moment. Yeah. It was, it was, which again. Uh, not typical uh, of these type of stories. I, I just, I don't want to, so I don't necessarily want to read that into it too much, but I did. I, I love that character. I love Taffy. I think she's the, uh, arguably the best character in the movie. Oh yeah. It was between her and Carlo Gugino. Mm-hmm. I, I, they, I, I had a hard time putting my finger on who was the best. And I was also impressed by the way that that Catherine Newton played Lisa, because early on, she's not playing her as a protagonist. She's playing her uh, like fully as as this hardcore wallflower who is not has like almost zero main character energy. And she Mm -hmm. builds towards this main character energy that sort of emerges throughout. Uh, And I thought that's such a great way to, to play this character. Yeah, yeah. Again, just refreshing. Also, the look of the movie is refreshing. It's like I think Zelda Williams' direction for a first-time feature director is really impressive. She's got a great aesthetic. She's got a good eye for pacing, uh, and she really has a, a a good ear for what uh, Diablo Cody has given her in a script. I agree. I agree. I again, like my only quibbles were not seeing the killer again that killed her mom. And just feel it seemed like the motivation a couple times was just, well, as long as you're here, we might as well kill her, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of, we might as well just bury the body instead of how do I explain this? Cause it, she didn't, she didn't do anything wrong until that point. Yeah. So it wasn't, you know, she was never at fault until that point. And I felt like that, that was kind of a leap for her to become, I mean, in a typical movie like this, she would have been the bad guy. I did. Uh, again, I love going back to things that are great about this movie. Cole Sprouse, the creature wanting various pieces of his body restored and then figuring <laughs> out how to do that. That builds yeah. to a phenomenal visual. <laughs> uh, I know where you're going. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it. That's it. But that, I was not, ex- I, they caught me off guard with that one. I I kind of, like I saw, like there's a lot of build. There's the, there's the ear, there's the hand. <laughs> oh, I, I three. Rule of three is great in comedy. 100% <laughs> saw that coming. <laughs> but I thought it was going to happen with somebody else. <laughs> By the way, that guy, the kid that uh, Catherine Newton's character has a crush on, that is Brad Pitt, is it not? That kid is young Brad Pitt. <laughs> I was blown away. Yeah, he does have a, a very strong screen presence, and he's a likable character up until a certain moment. Another, you know, another subver- uh, a subversion of expectations. I thought his friend, uh, his female friend, was going to get killed for sure. Oh, I was I was rooting for it. <laughs> she was like she was like the secondary villain to Carla Cugino. I thought for sure we're gonna see that girl like, bite it. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, I was I was rooting for that. I, that was yet another reason to bring back the axe murderer to kill her. <laughs> I thought they could I, I I will say this. I thought they could have underlined uh, early on in the movie, there's this boy who tries to uh, take advantage of, of Lisa at a party. And I thought they could have underlined that, made him a little bit more villainous before they finished him off. I thought that could have, that was a little, there's just a little bit more that could have done with, been done with that to, to underline the point, I think, to make it less jarring. You know what, though? I what I What I got about that was, it had almost a promising young woman vibe mm-hmm. where... You know, the super, the nice guy is also the bad guy. <laughs> you know, yeah. the one everybody thinks is so great mm-hmm. and wouldn't hurt a fly is actually the one who tries to, like, get on her at a party. Yeah. I it just, so that, yeah, that worked for me. Um, mm-hmm. I thought he was a little small for a hand, but <laughs> at least, <laughs> you know, a guy like that, they would have probably been better off getting another body part. 
Just <laughs> All right. So yes, we I, I I recommend it higher than you do, but we both recommend it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's fun. It's it's streamable. Strong cult potential, I think. I think this one's going to yeah. only grow uh, in people's minds over the years. And if I saw it again, you know, knowing a little bit, I might the pacing of the, you know, her, her turn might not get on me as much, I guess. Mm-hmm. Anyway, All right. our classic this week is bride of Frankenstein. Uh, if we wanted to, to, you know, keep that female vibe going, uh, obviously, but we're also going to be talking about just our uh, Frankenstein movies in general and uh, takes on the character. And uh, Jeff, first of all, Take us through Bride of Frankenstein from your perspective. How often have you seen this, and what do you love about it? I've seen this several times, and it has recently started to actually hit me that it's a comedy, a really dark comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I actually, that hit me after I saw Young Frankenstein again. I was like, wait a minute. This is like, it's almost the same tone as mm-hmm. Bride of Frankenstein with just a, you know, like a little wilder, so to speak performance by Gene Wilder, but it's, he's not that much different than Colin Clive in the Frankenstein movies. If you want to be <laughs> quite honest, mm-hmm. um, Bride of Frankenstein is it's a sequel, but it's kind of its own thing. And James whale is one of the reasons um, you know, it starts off, it's right after the original and, um, Una O'Connor, who is also another, just this, one of the reasons I see this as a comedy are the performances of Una O'Connor, who plays the, the older woman. Um, mm-hmm. she's been in a ton of, she was in the invisible man playing basically the same part where she's running around screeching like a banshee and is still amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and Ernest Thesiger, who plays Dr. Pretorius. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean. We could talk about him for hours. <laughs> oh, my God. Those two together. I wish they'd done like, I don't know, something like the Thin Man together. I just that would have been, you know, or a take or like a like a men in tights version of the Thin Man at, with, <laughs> as, as Nick and Nora Charles or something. I just the two of them on screen every time. They're on screen. It's just like breaking off the scenery and putting, dousing it in salad dressing. Um, <laughs> Ernest Thessinger is that he's what Vito Russo called, you know, like one of the sissies. He's his character is just so over the top and sissified to me that I, you can't, you can't help but notice that. He's play. I don't know. You know, I, I guess I never really even looked to see if Ernest Essinger was gay, but he's playing it as sort of this, he's got evil twink energy, <laughs> um, which is a thing that you, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Look at TikTok. Uh, you'll find it. Yeah. Yeah. But he's just, he's just this <laughs> hilariously malevolent force in the Frankenstein um, story that, you know, Henry Frankenstein has decided that, oh, you know, I made a mistake and Ernest Essinger's coming here. Look at my little people. And <laughs> I, it's Which, just, it's, it's 1935. It's yeah. 1935. And they did that effect. These tiny little people running around in his desk. Thessinger's able to pick them up with a little pen and drop them in these little tubes. And it's, and it's seamless. It is yeah. seamless. It is better than the CGI we see today. Oh yeah, yeah. I just um, he he makes the movie for me. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the the look of Elsa Lanchester as the bride is probably one of the best monsters on screen I've ever seen in my entire life, and I mean that like to my heart. I just she just is the most one of the most striking creatures ever. Um, 
and considering she's on screen with Frankenstein, I mean the the, yeah. the fact that that still stands out against the against the probably the previous champion of that very mm-hmm. aesthetic. Uh, that's a, that's so impressive. You know, and and you see her like the movie opens with um, uh, Mary Shelley, or I guess at the time she was probably still Mary Wolcroft. Um, and she's talking to Lord Byron and Percy Shelley, and you know, tell us a story. And so she, you know, she tells the story of Frankenstein and then they segue into the bride and she actually, she's starting to finally get the recognition she kind of deserves for really writing one of the first, the very first science fiction stories, mm-hmm. you know, Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus is really one of the first sci-fi stories ever written as science fiction. Um, the when it opens and you you know we start at the end of the last movie and the creature escapes like they always did in those old old movies, um, or as Annie Wilkes from Misery would have called it, they are cheaters. He didn't get out of the cockadoody windmill. <laughs> um, but you know, and it's him. Him the creature is starting to realize his humanity or what's left of it. Mm, Uh, and that's kind of his arc and that's why at the end when praetorius and frankenstein make the bride or the bride of frankenstein (laughs) so over the top (laughs) um you know when when they when they bring her down and she wakes and does that little ballet at the end where she's going from man to man and then she hates the creature and he he has reclaimed enough of his humanity that he says we belong dead mm-hmm. and then proceeds to kill them all. Um, that's really the, that's the overarching story of this is that human you, you, nobody's human until they've gained their humanity. Yeah. And you're, you're talking about this whole, you know, this dark comic vibe that is, that is roiled throughout the entire movie, building to you know, Karloff holding down the essentially the strongest dramatic point of the movie, and it just mm-hmm. underlines just how important Karloff is to 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 this movie. Uh, as as little as the, the as the creature is able to talk, when he does talk, it matters so much, and Karloff gives it so much meaning that even amidst all of the bleak comedy of this, that moment still rings true. Yeah. His heartbreak that that I mean just the 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 way he's able to communicate through all that makeup with those eyes mm-hmm. is exceptional. Uh, when he says she hate me, yeah, that's like that's everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I this is my favorite of the Frankenstein movies. Absolutely, this is the greatest Frankenstein movie of all time. I mean, of all of all the ones I've seen, nothing touches this aside from the original. That you know is probably is you know right behind it, but this is the best one. Oh, definitely. Definitely. 100%. And what, what do you, what did you take on the character? Like are there, what, in terms of the way this character has been used and evolved and changed over the years, do you have like a version of it other than Bride of Frankenstein that has impressed you? Well, I mean, the first two of the series, I just, re- I just recently watched son of Frankenstein and it's Karloff's last performance as the, creature Mm -hmm. um and i think that nobody gives it kind of the gravitas that he did right um even though if the story of of frankenstein is um you know an erudite creature who talks of you know why why is man this way why do you know why must you make me um you know, th- that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the movies are always, well, he's just a dumb creature until you get to, you know, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein with Robert De Niro and all that. And then it's taken a little more from the book. But um, I think we get to a point where if you're not the, the movie version of Frankenstein is what everybody thinks of. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't think of the book where he, you know, has long 
yearning conversations with Henry Frankenstein, um, you know, it has more to do with the grunting and stuff like that. Yeah. The book is incredible. Um, I, I actually just experienced it fairly recently, and the 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 creation of the creature, the uh, the that the conversation you just mentioned between between Frankenstein, Henry Frankenstein and his monster is so powerful. And then to, to he goes into this flashback about spending this time with his family. They you know, they mention uh, this blind character who's been part of the movies. Uh, but they expand on that because the man had an entire family that he was there with, that the monster was watching, and he was helping the family in secret and hoped that mm-hmm. perhaps he could be part of that family. The longing, the beauty of that, it's just so incredible. And I think the ways that James Whale captured some of that, with obviously he can't bring all of that to the screen, and he's not adapting it you know, directly from the book in, in that way. But he still finds moments in this movie and in the original Frankenstein to, to that touch upon that longing for humanity, that longing for for acceptance, and and uh, that out you know, the escaping that outsider status, and, and there's just these lovely grace notes that exist throughout the characterization of a movie Frankenstein is not nearly as much depth as what what Shelley had, but certainly what you can do in a movie, they they do a pretty good pretty great job of it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I think that my um, my favorite is Bride of Frankenstein, followed by the original. Um, <laughs> and then I got to say, Young Frankenstein. Uh, there's been so many tellings of this, though. You know, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, it's like hundreds. Like a, a Friday the Thirteenth is a Frankenstein movie, is it not? Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. As a At the very least, movie, yeah. Because he come he he comes back to life with electricity. <laughs> although they're not trying to make they're not trying to make a man, but right. But, but like yeah, the, they do bring the, him back as a Frankenstein. The inspiration is there in in so many different ways, and so many different movies have uh, sort of a a similar idea to this to the Frankenstein myth. Um, I gotta say, one of the one of the outsiders that that kind of always catches me off guard at how how good it is in characterizing Frankenstein, Elvis Ab- Elvis Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. is very very funny, very very funny. Uh, but then they also have Frankenstein popping up in like in the various different times that Abbott, Abbott and Costello meet monsters, and the way that Frankenstein gets to be sort of this sympathetic character in in comedy. Uh, in the 1940s and 50s, I thought that's such a great evolution of this character. Because if you're going to choose between, you know, Dracula, Wolfman, and Frankenstein, to for one of them to make the you know the the baby face turn and become the, the the secret hero to keep Dracula from killing the heroes, I think he's the best choice. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's so you know in in the different movies, he he's anywhere from like you know a bumbling automaton to basically an erudite socialite (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) so it's like you can do anything with the character because there's no you know bring sad to say but bringing somebody to back to life you know after sewing them from a bunch of different corpses is not real (laughs) so there's no rules Mm -hmm. you know and even between the book and the original movie there's no rules Mm mm-hmm that you know there's no hard and fast rules that you know he has to have the abnormal brain or you know anything like that it's just it's completely up to your interpretation and i think that's one of the reasons that they've made this movie so many times or use this character so many times yeah whereas that where whereas the dracula lore you know the vampire lore feels much more set in stone like you have to do certain things or it's not really a vampire yeah but even, I mean, even though, even with the Dracula movies, they're, you know, they, some of the things that we think of with modern vampires now mm-hmm. are based off of that 1931 movie, not oh, the, yeah. you know, not the book, because a lot, the book is, you know, it's told as a series of letters and it's not, there's no real um, lore to it. It's just about the characters. But when they made the movie, 
you know, Todd Browning added in a lot of these superstitions from um, Eastern Europe. So, you know, we get a lot of, we get a lot of that from the Dracula movies, whereas the Frankenstein movies, it's, we have a trope of bringing something back to life with electricity, but after that, all bets are off. Yeah. So. I think they, I think the worst Frankenstein movie I've seen, I think it has to be, uh, um, what is his name? Where, where'd it go? Where'd it go? I had it. Here it is. Um, it's Roger Corman's take on Frankenstein. <laughs> Frankenstein Unbound from 1990. Yeah. It's going to be in my book. This is so dumb. It's so terrible. Uh, but the cast is amazing. You've got Bridget Fonda, you got Raul Julia, Michael Hutchins is in this movie from NXS, mm -hmm. and somehow they've made a completely terrible film. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> There's like time travel in this. There's like, I don't understand a lot of what's happening throughout uh, what's what they're choosing to do in this movie, but it, it's absolutely, absolutely wild and uh, terrible in all ways. But I do, <laughs> I almost recommend it just to, just to, for people just to sit there baffled at what they're watching. Like, why are we time traveling? Where did this come from? Why is Michael Hutchins here? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I, I maybe that's why he killed himself. I don't know. <laughs> sorry, that was really horrible of me. Was really terrible. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I I I I love the character of Frankenstein. I love the lore, but Bride of Frankenstein truly is just it 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 goes beyond like it rem it's so unique and so strange that it shouldn't have been been able to be made. Like James Whale is given so much leeway to take a property that that became so quickly valuable to MGM that he had the freedom to make this super weird movie is almost yeah. just an incredible outlier. Exactly. Yeah, it's he was feeling his oats and he was just he was going to make a like a gay rom-com between <laughs> Pretorius and Frankenstein. I'm almost convinced that that's what, you know, he, his, his motivation was to see what he could get away with. I mean, it was pre-code though. So, you know, mm -hmm. I think it was pre-code, wasn't it? Uh, 34. Oh. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, I, you know, I just think he was just trying to kind of feel his oats and see what he could get away with. Yeah, because uh, I believe uh, Hayes, the guy behind the Hayes Code, actually pretty much targeted James Whale. <laughs> oh, yeah. Basically just tried to end his career. Well, Will Hayes was a piece of shit. So. He was absolute garbage. Screw that guy. Yes. I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for you? Well said. Well said. <laughs> all right um before we let you go jeff what did you we're just circling around to something completely different to to wind down the show uh what did you think of the deadpool trailer um not what i expected but what mm -hmm. i expected you know um i mean we've all seen the behind the school behind the behind the school behind the scenes photos of uh you know deadpool and wolverine on set um, in, you know, full costume and whatever. And I was expecting a little more Wolverine in it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I loved it. I, I, lo I especially love me, <laughs> you know, I know about pegging, but does Disney, <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay. I, I when I heard, you know, that they were going to do another Deadpool movie at Disney through Marvel studios, I really, really, really worried about what they would let him get away with. Yeah. But, and, you know, and I heard, oh, no, they're going to, they're going to, they, they know that they have a moneymaker. They're going to let him go, let him do his thing. And um, I was worried, but I can see that they're probably, he's probably going to get away with a lot of the same stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, also yeah. glad to see uh, Leslie Uggams. Oh, yeah. There. So. Oh yeah, uh, I love the cast. I love to say I I I've I've read a little bit about uh, 
I don't know if it is a direct comic adaptation, but there's a, there is a comic book called Deadpool, Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe. And <laughs> I believe they've hinted that this is kind of an adaptation of that, where he's going to be going in, uh, like they mentioned, there have been mentions of like the, you know, the Loki set, uh, where Loki mm-hmm. is has that those various different branches of the Marvel universe. He's going to be killing different versions of those people, <laughs> like oh, we saw in Multiverse awesome. of Madness. And uh, yeah. uh, that's an interesting concept. At the very least, It'll, at the very least, it's going to be better than Multiverse of Madness. But that's a low bar. Well, yeah. <laughs> Although I, I I started to rewatch it the other night. I'm like I'm like I gotta watch something that I've seen before I go to bed. Mm-hmm. You know, so I put that on and it it's not as bad as I remembered. Let's mm. say that it's not great. It's definitely not great, and it has, still has Benedict Cumberbatch in it, which is always a <laughs> minus in my book. But um, I. I would love to see something like that. I don't know if if they will. I mean, it's it's one of those things that at this point you've got a multiverse. It doesn't matter if you're killing off Iron Man in one. He's you know he can always come back in another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let them do whatever they want at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it it ought to be interesting. It ought to be exciting. It ought to be unique. Uh, I think Ryan Reynolds kind of and and the guys he's been working with behind the scenes have a great have a great vision for this. Uh, and it's going to be a monster hit. It uh, broke records oh, on yeah. YouTube in the first 24 hours uh, w- with the number of views of the trailer. And uh, it's going to be an absolute monster hit. Uh, they, I just hope they don't screw it up. <laughs> I was at least 10 of those. So. <laughs> um, did you see, do you know who uh, Joe Russo is? Not the, not Joe Russo, who is one of the directors, the Marvel directors. I know Jerusalem. Yeah. <laughs> well, he said <laughs> on Twitter, I list, I used to listen to his podcast with Mick Garris, so I have a little bit of affection for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, am I going to have to watch Loki season two to get Deadpool? You know, it's kind of a tongue in cheek joke and whatever, because that's kind of, he just trolls Twitter a lot, but mm-hmm. um, I think it was, it was it leading cool. Yeah. Said, you know, Civil War director, co-director wants to know, do I have to watch Loki season two to get Deadpool? And I was like, oh my, this happens a lot. Like he's always getting mistaken. Uh, <laughs> the other one, and it's just like, oh God, you people should learn by now. Mm-hmm. But I just thought that was a little funny. Uh, coming up next week, Jeff. Did you see the Wicked trailer? No, I didn't. Oh, <laughs> um, I just want to. I just want. No, I. I, I'm, I'm. Yeah, I'm not. I don't. I don't. I'm not a big Ariana Grande fan, and I don't. She's a reason not to see it, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but it looked pretty cool, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of people were online bitching about all the CGI, except they're wrong because they built these practical sets that are just amazing. Hmm. So I'll, I'll, almost everything you see in that trailer is practical. So, oh. no, maybe I'll check it out. Something to keep in mind when you watch it and you're like, Oh, fucking CGI. <laughs> nope. All right, Jeff, uh, next week we're going to be talking about one love and Madam Webb starring Dakota Johnson. Oh boy. Um, yeah, I'm not looking forward to seeing that. So I might go see it tomorrow cause it comes out early mm-hmm. uh, and I have tomorrow off. So I may see it in, in the morning. Um, though I'm going to say this, all mm. these people who are finally discovering the marbles and how good it is yeah. now that it's on Disney plus um, somebody said, well, what if, you know, what if we sleep on Madam web? What if that's great? And I want to be like, um, well, it doesn't even look good, whereas the Marvels <laughs> looked good from the trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, this looks subpar. <laughs> um, and aside not, from Suspiria and The Office, no. I've never been a huge Dakota Johnson fan. I love Dakota Johnson. 
I love Dakota Johnson for one reason. She made Fifty Shades of Grey and followed the rules and did exactly what they told her to do. Uh, and and it's such a bad performance, but she feels bad about the performance, so I get it. But she said the line, was a butt plug, with the most conviction any human being possibly could bring to a line that makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> Well, I never saw that. And so. I love her. I love her for that. The ability to, because nobody can deliver that line. Uh, that is just a, the laziest piece of bullshit screenwriting you can imagine. Nobody can deliver that line. She delivered that line. I appreciate it. She's also just got a great sense of humor about Fifty Shades of Grey and everything that she talks about. But she was also great in uh, in a movie called Our Friend with Jason Segel and Casey Affleck. It's just an absolutely incredible drama that everybody should see. And so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to her, but I have not been impressed by the trailers. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my favorite performance by her of all time was on Ellen. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a great party. Ellen, you were at my party. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Ellen. I <laughs> know. Oh, no, thank you. Um, but yeah, that, uh, we'll have to come up with a classic. We've not come up with a classic yet. We'll come up with something. Uh, yeah. Not 50 shades of gray. No, definitely not that. Although uh, you do, you do want to see her do that line. Uh, I'm going to have to watch it. I I have to find the streaming for free. I'm not paying for that shit. We'll bring back Flickchart uh, next week, I promise. I know everybody loves Flickchart, but we don't have time for it tonight. I've got to get going, Jeff. Thank you. Have a good night.